Unless I haven't been paying attention, man, the moon doesn't look normal. You keep the pressure on, correct? We stay until we win, is that right? At the moment, you're under arrest for incitement. Have you guys been following me? We're winning, folks. Okay, we're winning. We're pushing back the dark. You ask simply two questions to find a filthy Freemason de Molay. Where did you go to school? Which primary school? Which high school? And who's your daddy? everyone I'm Sauce and I'm flying solo yep Sandy is not here she is trusting me to do this with a lot of instructions so let's see how we go you will either hear this podcast or I will have forgotten to press a button (laughs) and you will never hear it so this episode I am joined by our mate Dave so if you listen to the conditional release program You will already know him. He is a legend who keeps a very close eye on a particular part of this movement where it intersects with issues that have historically been green. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks, Soz. Hi, Soz. Yeah, it intersects in a number of places. I guess in some ways it's the same old story of the freedom movement appropriating other people's causes but in other ways it's there's a bit of a crossover between the new age and the wellness worlds but we've seen some interesting incursions by the movement into issues like csg coal seam gas land clearing and forestry in victoria the movement's protesting the ending of native forest logging while in new south wales it's made inroads into groups that are still trying to shut it down so take your pick. Uh, <laughs> some groups have been quick to, to spot it, others not so. But if you allow cookers to infiltrate your group, credibility problems will inevitably follow. And then there's the wind farms. Yes, we'll talk about the wind farms. But, yeah, like when you talk about people, I, like straight away I can see our favourite opera singer <laughs> <laughs> and how she managed to wiggle her way into the issues at the Pilbara? Pilga. Pilga. Yep. See, I knew I knew that I would get that. I knew I would get that wrong, and I apologize to people of that region. I am not Australian, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, Poor Jackie Dave. Dundee. If you have to apologize, <laughs> Jackie Dundee should too. <laughs> Absolutely. Dave's actually working on some way for me to be able to understand. New South Wales, I don't know what it is about New South Wales. The geography of New South Wales, I don't understand. I I apologise. But yes, they certainly do find a way in. In Victoria, my mate Damien Richardson is spending an awful lot of time down in Gippsland, you know, dressed as a local farmer, um, wearing his country clothes on the back of trucks, talking about issues that always somehow get back to 
culture wars, which is a little bit strange. Like, I don't think that we're shutting down the pulp mills because, you know, the drag story hour <laughs> in the library. But somehow all these things are linked in the mind of Damien. So today we are specifically going to talk about the upcoming farmers protest that's planned for the 6th of Feb in Canberra. And finally, the farmers are finally awake and they're going to take their tractors to the nation's capital. Been a long time coming. Three years of where are the farmers? I'm keen for this, but I've also been let down by the promise of tractors before. I'm talking about you, Tammy who promised us that Wade was going to bring the farmers to Mission to Melbourne and it was two tractors and they were on the back of a truck. So I get the feeling this one might end up the same way, with the main Facebook page having 400 followers. Doesn't sound great. What about you, Dave? How excited are you for this one? Well, it's going to be a cracker, I reckon. Um <laughs> I live in a region of New South Wales, and, and when you say you don't understand New South Wales, I don't <laughs> particularly understand the language of Victoria or people from Melbourne. I, I just think they're all weird and it's probably reciprocated. It's just the way we roll. But, you know, I'm from the Hunter Valley. Uh, there are offshore wind farms proposed along the... Certainly the two industrial coasts of New South Wales, Wollongong and Newcastle, and also, like Victoria, the building of new transmission lines to consolidate the grid. And the reason these are proposed offshore of Wollongong and the the Illawarra and the Hunter are that they're the existing industrial strongholds of power generation in New South Wales, Infrastructure already exists, an industrial workforce is present, the history's yeah. there, and um, a, a committed transition away from the fossil fuel power generation is already beginning to take place. So apart from the general excitement that takes place on Telegram when a, a wind turbine catches fire or cartwheels It's crazy, over, isn't it? It's... Car- <laughs> It's almost akin to dying suddenly. Yeah. Like that's how excited they get about like, aha! <laughs> so, so, yeah, apart from that, the first I saw of a coordinated campaign against the offshore wind proposals in Newcastle was on my place uh, very early last year. And then they were coordinating some pretty cooked letter drops around various Mm. suburbs of Newcastle, which they often combined with deliveries of the light newspaper. Um, Imagine coming home from work (laughs) and going to your letterbox and getting both, like a flyer and the newspaper. (laughs) I got one here and it was at night and I heard the letterbox go tinkle, tinkle, which... And, you know, I, I, was, I thought it was more likely to be someone stealing my mail, but it was actually <laughs> a whole box drop oh, of cooker God. material. Um, and I didn't run after them to see who it was. <laughs> but um, but with, with that going on sort of at that level from my place, I, I did have a 
bit of a chat with a few of the people I knew who are involved in uh, promoting uh, renewable energy or a transition to that in the Hunter Valley. And uh, some of them had been involved with the consultation process for the wind farms. And, and yeah, they, they came back with the not surprising news that mm. some pretty well orchestrated attempts have been made to derail those those public meetings. So by then we had local groups set up to oppose wind farms in Port Stephens, Central Coast, Illawarra. And, and of course, some of those had legitimate points such as impacts on, on fishing, tourism, mm. uh, the visual landscape etc the sort of the type of things any community would yeah would have concerns about visual impacts is is a bit rich certainly in newcastle like we've we've lived forever with 30 or 40 coal ships just anchored <laughs> out there um, and if you remember the the pasha bulker actually blew in during the 2007 <laughs> storm but as things went on the misinformation started in these groups yeah. big time and you started getting that really sort of grim, grey, blue-toned AI art with dead whales and koalas and yeah. wind turbines and uh, sort of intermittently with the rhetoric that the environment movement had lost its way and we are the new environmentalists and... Uh, you began to get the idea that a bit of a narrative was being fed into this. Rallies took place on both sides. There was one last winter to support renewable energy and and say, you know, let's let's go with what we've got to do in terms of transitioning yep. out of where we've been to where we have to go. And it was the middle of whale season and, and there were literally whales breaching everywhere you looked. It was just one wow. of those beautiful days. And this whale started slapping its tail just off Nobby's Beach in the break wall where everyone was. And my place had sent this, this guy along with his dog Tiger as an observer to to report back to my place about what those pro wind farm people were doing. <laughs> Bloody lefty communists. <laughs> and he, he, he reported that he he and his dog were in tune with this whale and that had been giving the <laughs> finger to the pro renewables. So So not just he and his dog. Yeah, tiger again, Tiger in the whale. <laughs> again, some people are awakened, some people are not. <laughs> But then, yeah, so that was winter. Then in October, we started getting some sort of structure to this process. And in October, there were wind farm protests, both in Port Stephens and Wollongong, two weekends apart from memory. Um, and we saw that weekend in Wollongong, we saw yeah. Guru wander up and lament the fact he couldn't speak and that the He was hanging around farm... that stage like a bad smell, wasn't he? He's just walking around the back. He was desperate for someone to go, do you want to speak, mate? Oh my he God, had the God shits and, and the anti-wind farm folk just weren't awake to his 
worldview, the the chemtrails, the yeah. white hats. <sighs> it, it just wasn't enough for him and he, he thought it was a complete waste of time. But it was the list of speakers in Port Stephens that really gave us a clue as to who is behind all this. I mean, the, ter- the turnouts to both rallies were impressive regionally and, and definitely yep. newsworthy. And those two rallies were then followed up by a rally outside the New South Wales Parliament in November and then moving on to Canberra for the the first sitting day of Parliament in 2024, February the 6th, so three weeks away from now. The the Sydney rally under the banner of Reckless Renewables, which I think I'd seen that used in Queensland. Yeah, yeah, it was. But... You, you could see them all coming under the same umbrella. It drew a medium-sized crowd, but that's when I got the first hint that the, those impressive numbers they got in Wollongong and Port Stephens weren't being built upon when it came to travelling to Sydney on a weekday. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's a bigger commitment, to, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, you know, amongst others, there was Barnaby Joyce and Ellen Jones and... Jesus you know, I've I've heard Alan Jones speak a few times and, and he's pretty impressive when he's on fire, but he really was just droning on and they actually had to wind him up. <laughs> but also at that rally, we started to hear the slogan, not here, not anywhere. And that was a very distinct shift from the local concerns of offshore mm. wind farms mm-hmm. to a blanket opposition to all forms of renewable energy over my dead body. Uh, it was Yeah, distinct. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so now as we, we move into Canberra, the, the talking points are that, but a whole lot of other weird stuff that's on that poster. You know, the communities involved in the offshore wind farms don't seem to appear on it in any way mm. and they're... they're mm sort of blue ocean colours have been replaced by this drab, miserable, rural oppression green yeah. sort of colour. Yeah. And we obviously have, have speaking uh, former, de- former Deputy Prime Minister yep. of Australia again. So he, he actually did the tri- d- is doing the trifecta. He did Port Stephens. He did, um, I'm not sure if he did Wollongong, but uh, he did Sydney and Barnaby's now doing Ugh. Canberra. And then... At the other end of the scale, we've got the freedom movement threatening to arrive in force. <laughs> Brad wants to punch on with Jesse, and it's the place they're oh most likely God. to meet. So, in terms of my level for, of excitement for for this, it's it's certainly dynamic, and <laughs> let's see what happens. <laughs> So before we chat chat about who or what this protest is actually about, let's talk about that poster. So that tagline, not here, not there, not anywhere, which I don't know, I don't quite get in relation to what's ended up on the very long list of things that they want to talk about, because it's all very haphazard and it almost feels like someone's Googled bad things that have happened (laughs) in like the farming world for the last four years and they've just then put them all on the same flyer 
the pictures, it's different colors, different font sizes. <laughs> like after three years, you would think that by now they would know how to put a flyer together. It's it's mm. a mess. Like it's so hard to read. Like it's just visually crazy. I saw one of the posts that someone had used when they shared it was was every Aussie farmer, bring your tractors, get to Canberra and tell everyone to join. I don't know. Like I've had a look at tradition, more traditional Facebook pages of like the Farmers Federations of Victoria. No, actual farmers that I can see are talking about this protest at all. It's been shared on a few groups, but I don't know. I think they've cast a very wide net and sometimes that can actually be a detriment to what it is that you're trying to get across. So this one, let's go through the list. They want to talk about Osnet, Powerlink, the logging industry, the Murray-Darling water buyback, the Lauren power plant closure, the World Economic Forum imposing reductions in livestock numbers. But then there's a couple of pretty strange ones tacked on to the end. Original First Nations land carers' opposition to corporate land grabs and community opposition to government implementation of national policies without public approval. Those two are very strange. So let's talk about them first. What does original First Nations opposition to corporate land grabs mean to you, Dave? <laughs> like, how, how do you interpret that one? Well, just just out of my heart, it feels totally justified. But looking yep. <laughs> into what that might mean to the movement, um, I mean, in no way is it a white bloke's place to yeah. speak. Yep, agree. Too much on original sovereigns or the bloody Wirritton prophecy or any of those things that the freedom movement has come up with while butting into First Nations issues, I guess. Mm. Um, we all saw what happened at the Makada camp just prior to the convoy and heard the language that was being used. The actions there cut deeply into the lives mm. of individuals as we we know and, and yeah. the communities out there. What I do know is that people like Ricardo Bosi, apart from spouting a belief that a race of pygmies predated Aboriginal Australia and that he has a surviving one working for him, for God's sake, uh, bases his beliefs in a 1982 book and documentary called Red Over Black. And that made out that over 200 years of survival and struggle to exist within the colonial system was a communist plot. So <laughs> it's always the communists, isn't it? <laughs> it's like like when was like there's a raid under the bed? When was that? Was that like and the fifties, like the fifties and sixties? And now it's twenty twenty four, and we're still basically saying the same thing. Weird. And and now it's anyone from sort of vaguely left of the labour right. <laughs> so so Bosi loves referring to it as the Aboriginal industry, yeah. he, he repeatedly uses that term. And by that you can read bodies such as the local Aboriginal Land Council's arts bodies or 
if it had happened, the voice to Parliament. So these talking points were were being rehashed over and over in last year's debate and it constantly mm. went back to that book and and, and, that and I think that's the thing. Like when they say like corporate, they're not talking like as you say, at first glance of that, it feels that they're talking about Indigenous Australians being allowed to participate in the process and be able to do ceremony and their ties to the land. That's not what they mean. They're not saying that at all. (laughs) And I think the fact that they so overwhelmingly were against the voice demonstrates that. Absolutely. Yeah, they're talking about... They're talking about they want to really have this sovereign, and to them, sovereign means almost opposite interpretation for First Nations people, which is very yeah. different to the work that you know people like Aboriginal Tent Embassy do, which is about black sovereignty, which is very different to what these guys are talking about. That's right, and and with a definitive opinion on whether we should have a voice or not. Uh, this whole red over black things about oppression and the denial of, of people to yeah have have the same amount of clout within the the system yep. we all live under, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Now, yeah. now speaking speaking at the farmers rally, and and this is really interesting, will be a woman from the coast, central coast, Kate Mason, who has made a bit of a name for herself in the anti renewables circles, but also claims to be an environmentalist, but is anything but. Uh, so I, I've seen Kate speak twice. Uh, she also ran for IMOP informed medical options parties so anti-vaxxers in the the 2022 federal election um she's big on the 15 minute cities conspiracy believes humans are being morphed with robots um the whole food thing you will eat the bugs and all sorts of other stuff like that but she's a tad cleverer in the way she presents it above all she lists her greatest mentors as, as people long known in the world of climate science denial. And throughout 22-23, she ran a couple of groups that held a series of fairly well-attended talks ranging from opposing renewable energy, opposing quarantine measures to protect New South Wales from the varroa mite, the, the bee parasite, uh, yep. smart cities and... Um, against the voice Uh, and in one of these presentations she actually said that the voice was part of the smart cities conspiracy to take away our rights to leave our suburbs and drive our cars so her ideas have unfortunately they've attracted some members of the the traditional new south wales environment movement on on a local level but also a little bit beyond and once again, it, it requires legitimate First Nations voices to properly address this. But Kate presented members of a tribe that nine surrounding local Aboriginal land councils say does not exist 
to oppose the voice at a gathering on the Central Coast last June. Um, and interestingly, they said any Aboriginal body with an ABN was not legitimate and wandered out of that meeting with a slogan, if it's got an ABN, it's not us, which was just ridiculous. And, and you might remember those things that were just constantly appearing at that time and the on the Cooker socials yeah. was was pictures of ABN numbers associated with Indigenous bodies and anything they but could like, find. But like I've never I have never known a group of people so obsessed with ABN numbers, right? And I just <laughs> wish that some of them would actually take the time to understand that, like, why people basically you need an ABN number just to do to do any kind of transaction at all anywhere. Like, it doesn't mean that you're owned by the government, but equally. They've got they've got ABN numbers. I'm in a common law group, <laughs> and the common law group have registered themselves in every state, and they've got ABN numbers. And it's like, what? And when you ask them about it, they go, oh, well, you know, sometimes you've got to participate in the system to bring down the system. And it's like, okay, but, like, I thought we hated ABNs. Weird. Yeah, it's, it's a blatantly a far-right attempt to undermine rights and and that place yeah. within the system that uh, first nations people before us fought so hard for and, and whatever the faults of that system they, these people are offering nothing as a working alternative no. just pseudo law yeah it's crazy it's crazy so i hate to side with karen brewer on something <laughs> <laughs> But I'm about to. I'm about to. So we often hear Karen Brewer talk about bringing civics back as a subject in schools. Uh, she says it for a completely different reason. But I think I kind of agree with her. Like, how can we have a group of people reach adulthood and not actually understand how any level of government works? Like, do they not understand how politics works, that political parties have policies, key areas that form the cornerstone for their actual reason for existing and then they publish their policies before we have elections and they campaign on those policies and then that's how we know what we're getting when we vote for them and that voting for them kind of gives them the approval to enact those policies thereby rendering the need to ask you for approval it becomes unnecessary i i genuinely don't understand <laughs> how these people don't understand dave how can they not understand <laughs> that's the million dollar question isn't it oh. i mean it's a it's a fairy tale outside the gates with <laughs> shouting through gates with a megaphone it's it's <laughs> Like the movies, it, it's the Matrix, it's the Braveheart, the Castle, it's the vibe. There's, there's, there's meant to be this amazing ending after two hours of the movie. We always get a new date for when this ending or Armageddon oh. or, or big thing is. Um, it really is. Hollywood has so much to answer for. <laughs> Because, you know, real life doesn't end, it, it continues. And the reality is that there's push and shove in, in politics and, and policy and uh, sort of 
positions we reach in society and if if you're on one side pushing for something and and you reach a stalemate with an opposition that that has equal strength or or clout and and position and numbers you you negotiate yeah and if if you make a gain it, it impacts on certain sections of the community and that's too quick or painful then the pushback and bite back is massive and you, you sort of end mm. up where or, or behind where you started from and, and the world continues chugging on in that way that frustrates everyone who wants just what you want. But now with the the issue of climate change and the urgency to ad- address that, it's... Uh, you know, it's become a an awful problem of of urgency as as year after yeah. year we just hear news of new temperature records being set on land in the ocean, whatever. And anybody with half a scientific brain knows that that action has to happen quickly. And this other group of people, and and God, you don't want to put a number on it, are looking for spiritual solutions such as 5d ascension or whatever Uh, and there's not much common ground with that (laughs) i mean we we could get really philosophical couldn't we but you know all i do is look at these people and i see pitchforks nazis and individualism and i don't want that (laughs) Um, and it's like watching a group that'll throw out all of the world's knowledge at who yeah. knows what expense, make dramatic announcements that the media sometimes lies and junk food isn't healthy as if none of the rest of us had ever noticed that before. It sucks. I was listening. I can't remember one of them was talking. I don't know who it was. Sometimes their voices and faces merge into just one for me. But someone was talking and they were comparing the how quickly the COVID vaccines <laughs> came into being, which they love talking about because they, yeah. they can't understand <laughs> that sometimes vaccine development doesn't actually start from scratch. Like they didn't actually start from nothing. There was already some stuff that was already done for some other diseases and viruses that they were able to piggyback off. But that's one thing. But then they started talking about uh, like polio vaccines and how long it took to do polio vaccines. And it's like you do realise that the technology that we have in like the year 2024 is a little bit different to the science and technology that we had back in the like late 1800s when we started thinking about polio. But it's like they can't get their head around how science actually works and that every day in science, it's what makes science amazing, is every day you start from a new starting point because of all the stuff you learned yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. And it's like exponential knowledge and exponential growth. And it's like they can't understand that. It's like they think every day a scientist unlocks their lab and goes, right, let's start. And it's like <laughs> every day's day one instead of like every day's day one plus. It's crazy. Yeah. And and they pick on science like it's a dark plot against them yeah. and, and sure you yeah. you do get vested interests and you do get bad science of course but in the end it gets picked up notwithstanding that um 
Oh, I mean, as an environmentalist, I'm the first person to, to say I, most environmental scientists go to where the money is, which is is being a consultant and or a yeah an employee of of mining or or resource yeah. extraction yep. industries, and and they write the reports that you know allow these. These Absolutely. companies to do their thing, but it's it's picked up upon when uh, when things are bad, and and most mining companies, for example, will not produce a total totally dodgy report, but they'll either underfund the one that's done or yeah, omit everything that goes against what they're proposing to do. So, so yeah, there, there's no understanding within this movement of, of how science actually works. And also I think there's very little comprehension of how to actually do your own research. <laughs> so, like, if I'm interested in whatever's and I do a basic Google search that says, like, what is X, and then you get results, right? So they also don't appear to know how social media programming works and search engine optimization, and that you can actually pay to be on the first page or you can pay to be in the number one spot. So the thing that you're looking for might actually be on page eight, but to get there, you're going to have to realize that's a paid ad, that's a paid ad, that's a paid ad, that's a paid ad. And then when you read your research, you don't just read the research, you read it and go, okay, so this research was done by a company. So now you go and look at the research company and you discover that the research company is actually owned by the sugar industry. Let's call it the sugar industry. So then you have to be able to have a brain that says, oh, okay, so if this is a piece of research is about does sugar make me fat and the company that's running this is owned by the sugar company I'm pretty sure that I already know what this is going to say it's going to go sugar's bad but it's not that bad and it's not (laughs) just the sugar that you eat it's your lifestyle and are you walking enough you know what I mean and it's like they don't seem to have that ability to filter through what people want them to hear <laughs> versus what is actually the truth. Yeah, uh, it's and it's tough because everyone wants to hear what they want to hear. It's a, a great world when it works like that. And, and the algorithm's yeah, giving them what they want to hear, by the way. And you just see these comment after comment on, on the suddenly gone and hoodie pages yeah oh i woke up and then i read this and then i read this yeah i mean yeah it's 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 a far better for computer scientists and social media analysts Mm. to report Mm. on that because it's it's highly sophisticated as to how and and we're all manipulated to some extent absolutely i think that's the um one of the perhaps misnomers I think that the freedom movement have around us folk that they call sheep or normies 
that we're all living our lives believing completely what the government tells us, that we believe completely what Murdoch wants us to read or hear. You, you know what I mean? And it's like, mm. that's not the real world, though, that we all live in. Like, we all, I would think the vast majority of the population do have a degree of distrust of governments, a distrust of large institutions, a distrust of the banks, the insurance companies, uh, the media. So I think that's a weird thing for me, that they almost think that they are the only ones that don't trust governments. And it's like, no, we don't trust government either. Yeah, I, I reckon that's been one of the most damaging things this movement has done because while achieving absolutely nothing for itself, it's thrown chaos into the workings of protest, mm -hmm. community action, and, and almost discredited it as on the whole. And by moving into these spaces with nothing to offer, there, there are plenty of groups uh, who you know, have worked for decades, centuries even, on uh, moving society into better places. And yeah. by their, their very actions, the, the freedom movement has just disrupted so much. And, and it's not just, I mean, I can see where it's had an impact in small ways so far in the environment movement. But yeah, think of homeschooling, think of... All the, yeah, it's, and when it's based on just this insane ideology of smash it all up, tear it all down, as, as Bosey said. But with no plans cool. to rebuild anything or put it back together. No. So let's get to this laundry list of the, the farmers' issues. And we're going to talk about some of them because we're not going to talk about the WAF and livestock. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> so first up, Osnet, which has actually been a focus of farmer protests in Victoria in some regional locations and also on the steps of Parliament. I will never forget the glee that day when tractors did, in fact, come to Melbourne but they did not come for anything that was organised by the freedom movement. So their protest sent around Osnet's proposed rollout of 500 kilovolt high voltage transmission lines across regional Victoria. So the project will build 190 kilometre high voltage overhead electricity transmissions through Western Victoria to connect wind farms to the grid for metropolitan Melbourne and other areas. So it's a state government project aimed at tackling climate change by reducing emissions from fossil fuel power stations. The installation of the towers would place restrictions on machinery and irrigation near the base and under the transmission easement. So they think that approximately a thousand hectares of prime farmland yeah. would be lost. So this is up around the Ballarat area. So this is where we get all of our potatoes. And as a person who loves potatoes, that makes me sad. Actor Stephen Curry uh, was actually at one of the protests as his home is in the corridor of this project. 
and his house is going to get knocked down pretty much, mm. including about 3,000 native trees that are also on his property. He has been obviously offered a settlement, but that's not the point. So Osnet further raised the ire of farmers by actually going onto their land without permission to erect some signs underneath the existing power lines. Uh, this was roundly condemned by the Victorian Farmers Federation and Osnet actually did issue an apology. This ended up in the Supreme Court with a coalition of farmers attempting to either stop this project completely or have the power lines put underground, which would come at a cost estimated to be 16 times higher than the actual towers. So their case was unsuccessful. In December, Justice Michael MacDonald upheld the minister's decision to fast track the project and said there was no factual basis that the minister acted with improper purposes. That's what they alleged. Uh, I checked the Osnet protest group pages and they have shared the posters for this protest, by the way, this farmer's protest, but yeah. it hasn't really got much support. Like, it hasn't really been shared out a heap. There wasn't really a heap of comments, so I don't know. I'm not sure when any of the Osnet people will show up or not. I guess we'll wait and see. From what I can tell, the issues with PowerLink are similar. Again, it's a project aimed at addressing climate change pressure, this time in Queensland, with the local community concerned about the impact to farmers, landowners and national parks. Interestingly though, protests for this one had the tag, tag Reckless Renewables attached to it and this one was attended by national MPs who took the opportunity to talk about both coal and nuclear power. Yeah, I'm not the best at instantly understanding the, the micro bits of politics beyond New South Wales borders, but um, I did see just before Christmas that uh, ABC covered the Osnet issue on the business and the most striking thing about that um, half an hour was um, a young fifth generation, I think, potato farmer called Joey, and she had ploughed piss off Osnet into a hill on her tractor and she did a mighty mm. fine job. And she went on to describe that behaviour of, Os yeah. of Osnet, the company, coming onto people's land and... Um, in many ways, just describing a behaviour that is totally consistent with developers, miners. Yeah. Yep. In any community you go to, and and you know, going back to a previous decade, I, I had the job of assisting communities deal with inappropriate and overwhelming developments, and and you just recognise what Osnet did as something that yeah. is, is very much part of a strategic intimidation and and yeah. it's just yeah. not cool. But after she spoke, we saw Tony Wood from the Australia Institute who had a tiny bit to do with 
when I was employed to to do that work up the valley here with coal mines. He did a lot of work and a number of talks at business breakfasts, blah, blah, on the Hunter Valley's mm. economy. And, and he emphasised that if companies get this first contact wrong, it, it yeah. fucks it up um, and it's very yeah. hard to turn around. But also what, what Joey went on to emphasise was that she wasn't denying climate science but putting forward the treatment that the, the community got and she was batting for them. So yeah, in that comment I didn't see a group of locals who are going to turn up to an insane anti-climate, anti-science no, cooker rally. I, I saw more sense. Like they have been quite that. measured. Yeah, they have. They have been quite measured. You know, like the speakers that they've had, like when they did the ones at Parliament on the steps, the speakers that they had, you know, were very good speakers. What they said was very measured. Um, they showed up to, I think, Osnate were having like a meeting with the energy provider in a regional location. I'm going to say it was up around Ballarat. And a lot of the farmers showed up with their tractors <laughs> But, you know, they just waited out the front and said, you know, we'd like you to come and talk to us. Uh, they didn't. Osnate scarpered actually out the back door and and bailed on it. But again, even on that day, you know, like they weren't trying to bash their way in there or or create a scene. They were a patient group of people saying, can you please come and talk to us? So, yeah, I think you're right. I can't imagine that these same measured, sensible group of people are going to throw their lot in with some of the people who are down to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very hard. Like like, like when I was in paid work in the New South Wales environment movement, we saw two ministers of that 16-year Labor government uh, end up in jail as a result of mm. their corrupt actions around planning policy yeah, wow. and coal mining. So to see this as a broad culture war, left versus right, woke versus awake yeah. issue just doesn't do justice to people in the thick of it on on any side or what's at stake. I mean there there are there are those who just want to perpetuate that that endless culture war meme by meme and yeah. trope by trope and, and then there's those who genuinely want what's best. So, mm. so, I mean, that brings us back to who took the platform at the Port Stephens rally in October and, you know, we had four local game fishing clubs and businesses, which was, yeah, fair enough, whatever. But yep. <laughs> there were two speakers from One Nation, uh, a Liberal, two Nationals, Barnaby being the star, and the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, who's... Organisation is basically just an ongoing brawl, conference to <laughs> conference, uh, fight after fight, but always good for at least a couple of members in the upper house. And and depending on the numbers, you get trouble there. So so <laughs> then there there was Nick, and this is the most interesting thing. There was Nick Cater from the Menzies Research Centre. And and by its very name, that can only spell one thing, mm. and they're always batting for uranium. Yeah. So um, 
the Menzies, the last speech delivered at the Menzies Research Centre just before Christmas was by Boris Johnson, of all people. <laughs> Lordy. And, uh, and Nick, who, who spoke to this Port Stephens rally, has previously done broadcasts on things such as COVID-19 morphing into Black Lives Matter, the state of Queensland and the spiritual side of Robert Menzies. So hmm. you're sort of looking at some pretty out there hmm. neocon sort of mentality for a start. Yeah. Yep. And and if you you go to the Menzies Research Centre's website, um, you'll find any number of articles about nuclear power, including one from 2018 called Nuclear is Beautiful. And among the board of directors, you're going to find people such as Paul Espy, OAM, investment banker, chairman of two mining companies, yeah. chief of Bank of America in Australia, New Zealand and Papua New Guinea, trustee of the Australian Institute of Mining and Metallurgy, yeah. Mitch Hook, uh, former CEO of the Minerals Council of Australia, um, Father-in-law to Sam Burgess, the NRL player, for a little while. Oh. Um, and that didn't end well. Uh, Tamson <laughs> Lawrence, Australian Chamber of Commerce. Kirsty McSweeney, senior media strategist for the Federal Coalition. Uh, oh, and wow. will be in her 20th year of that employment this year. And then you've got Nick Minchin and Andrew Robb, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, there's no doubt as to what this institution represents. Um, and there's actually been a fair mm. bit of, of mainstream media on what Dutton sees as the benefits of a the political benefits of pushing for yeah. nuclear with these people. I mean, so. Do you see who's playing who, Freedom Fighters? Come on. Well, funny that you should say all of that because let's have a tiny peek into some of the people who are down to speak on the day. So first up is Anne Webster, of all people. So, poh, God, imagine if Karen Brewer turns up to this rally. Please let it happen. <laughs> Anne will be able to just walk straight up to her and say, Hi, Karen. Do you have that $800,000 settlement <laughs> Do you remember that you when owe me? Karen was selling her farm in New Zealand. and It, it was, was about the same amount of money. It was the exact it was. amount. It was crazy. Correct. But sorry. So I do I... wonder whether she has quietly paid her <laughs> off and that's why she's back in Australia and living in a van. I'm not sure. But we digress. So <laughs> on the Register of Interests, her partner has shares in three resource companies and three energy storage and production companies. I would suggest that one of the biggest issues for farmers in Australia is actually the pressure from the duopoly that is Coles and Woolworths. So I was a little bit surprised that this wasn't on the laundry list of issues. Uh, they've been destroyed by home brand milk and are getting less and less for their produce. Interestingly, one of the speakers MP David Gillespie owns shares in both Coles and Woolworths, along with shares in mining and resources. 
Senator Rennick has shares in multiple resource companies. Teeny Tiny Malcolm has accepted charter flights from a mining company. And Matt Canavan has long been a friend of coal. Barnaby Joyce had listed shares in resource companies on his last declaration. Just for shits and giggles, let's take a look at a couple of the politicians who aren't speaking on the day, but who have been very vocal in their support. In Victoria, Member of Parliament Bev MacArthur has been a loud voice opposing Osnet's plans. Bev owns shares in resource companies and is a member of both the Institute of Public Affairs and the Menzies Research Centre. Who would have thought? She also lists interest in a renewables company that is focused on solar energy. In Queensland, federal MP Colin Boyce has shares in a mine services company, a resource company, and has accepted flights from mining companies. Now, I am not naive enough to think that there aren't other politicians who may have a conflict of interest, but the people speaking at this rally are regular spokespeople for the mining sector, and I doubt there would be many people in the freedom movement that know about their shareholdings. Didn't they call this gain of function when it was related to Anthony Fauci? It was. <laughs> and the the freedom movement was very smug about using that term when it came to Big Pharma. Yet here we have another big February gathering in Canberra. Remember at the convoy two years ago, we were all waiting to see who they sent into Parliament, who was hosting them, what they were going to ask for. And on that occasion... Craig Kelly met them. Hoodie was able to get Basie's insane demands mm. about the, the 28 removed from the letter. Basie lost his shit and uh, there was footage of uh, the letter being handed through the door at the Prime Minister's office before it was quickly shut where, you know, a staffer either tore it up or it's framed on someone's wall in the Cooker Hall Correct. of Fame. Fast forward to this 2024 version and and whether they know it or not, they're batting for the biggest end of town that you can possibly get. This is a opposition which is not committed to real action on climate, which denies the science and denies action. They are a coalition of climate inactivists and cookers and they would cook the planet with their lack of a climate change policy. I think we know that we are at a very crucial juncture, not just for farmers, but for workers at traditional energy plants, whole towns, and even districts. We can't keep going as we are. Climate change is very real and present danger, with 97% of climate change scientists believing that the science, for the most part, on this issue is settled. As the world looks to more renewable energy sources, here in Australia, that means we need to do something about coal. Not just what we use, but also what we export. And that will have an impact on the economy. Absolutely. And we've just gone through a list of names um, 
of those at a certain end of town that are behind this silly rally, they're going to be all right and are probably invested on both sides of the fence. Absolutely. Uh, but but for the Hunter Valley where I am and, and places like La Trobe and out the back of Gladstone and Mackay, the, the changes um, and the changes that they pose to lifestyle and and the way people live there are, are very real. Um, over 30 years, we've watched our valley floor completely removed for coal. I mean, that's not an exaggeration to say that. And, and go and have a look at the, the satellite shot of, of the Hunter Valley between Singleton and up towards Musselbrook, and you'll see what I mean. Farms disappeared, in moved men, mostly men, yeah. their families for the boom times. Whole new towns were born almost overnight, like places like Huntley and Singleton Heights. And in them, if you drive around those streets, you, you just see six-bedroom houses with two SUVs, probably a boat parked out the front. And that, that all went for uh, 20 years or so until there came a, a movement from some of the big companies to yep. casualise the workforce. And then the pressure came on those mortgages and, and people got very, very nervous and opportunists take advantage of a situation like that. Yep. So... In, in 2019, Labor's climate policy promoted our, our local member, long-term member, Joel Fitzgibbon, to withdraw from that policy and speak out against it. And the far-right vote in the Hunter grew to 21%. And though it split wow. in 22, that, that number of 21% remained the same between about four parties. <laughs> mm. So it's not an accident that some of our craziest politicians are voted in by these regions. Yeah. It actually makes me think of Glasgow when shipbuilding stopped. Like really everyone in Glasgow, you were either building ships or you worked for an industry that was a downstream of shipbuilding. But when planes <laughs> started becoming you know a lot more viable for people why do you need ships so shipbuilding basically shut down and then you know you had steel towns like Sheffield um, when Maggie Thatcher privatized coal and a lot of the coal mines closed down you know these places were decimated decimated you know and people did it really tough for a long time. Yeah, and and Newcastle lost the steelworks in 1998. And for a, it's quite funny because for a really short amount of time, the, the whole town actually smelt of the sea and things we didn't smell before, nice things. Yeah, wow. But wow. then the export coal industry from up the valley kicked as the world's biggest coal port and yeah. coal dust just was appearing on everything. Um, there are 
uh, you know, there's a higher level of respiratory illness than occurs elsewhere. And, and you know, there are, there are some great organisations that try to think ahead and engage in a community dialogue, you know, regardless of your politics as to what the future looks like in these regions. Yeah. Um, terms like just transition are very easily thrown around, but, but doing it and holding authorities to account is, is a completely different yeah. thing. So so people who sit on the opposite sides of the fence are, are talking to each other about what the future looks like. And then on the other hand, the, the danger in these wind and renewable projects and zones is, is that there's a very limited amount of time to achieve the CO2 reduction targets that we as a as a country have have committed ourselves to, um, and that puts pressure on on the state planning systems and frameworks to to approve. And um, we go back to coal mines <laughs> and coastal developments, mm. and uh, they haven't exactly got a great track record or um, yeah. popularity within local communities. So, I mean, the shift is going to hurt, but. Yeah. Having having wise heads at the wheel has got to be better than people perpetuating culture wars and, and enlisting cookers to do it. Uh, so we've reached a point here where where it's now the MUA who are leading a campaign on the disinformation that's been circulated about wind farms, and I, I think they're actually having a a rally in Newcastle a couple of days ahead of what's going to happen in Canberra. But whether these local efforts are enough depends largely on on matters well beyond these regions and also these shores. But uh, it's the residents of these uh, valleys and locations that have been heavily dug up and polluted with all the health and social consequences that mm. come with that. Um, who deserve uh, an yeah. outcome from from that? Uh, there's no doubt about it. And I think they deserve conversations that don't have political point scoring and culture wars woven into it as well. You know, like we're talking about entire towns that potentially won't have jobs, and then what are they going to do? But I think one thing we do probably agree is that the very people who will gain from stop it, stopping climate change initiatives are, in fact, the very people who are attending and speaking at these rallies. People with money and shares and most likely more than one property. People who do best when others are pushed down. People who do best when the class system is thriving and I think the name for them would be elite yeah it's happening everywhere isn't it um what really sucked for for me about the convoy to Canberra was that good friends from my rural community who went there and to be blunt were well represented us in <laughs> bigger numbers than average had 
like when I asked them about the speeches that were given, they they didn't really know who spoke. Um, yeah. What Bosie said, what Hoodie said, the the fights that were going on, uh, the gun in the car, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. It, but they also had a great time and met the people who are now the best friends they've ever met. But but the the idea of I mean, we saw the characters that went on stage as the, being the same people from Ditch the Witch, the Reclaim Australia yeah. thing. Yep. It was just instantly apparent. Uh, and COVID was their gift. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the biggest lever governments can pull to make rapid changes is, is subsidies and that can amount to either corporate welfare or incentives for industries to move from one place to another. I mean, we're seeing that in Germany and Holland, but but this rally in Canberra is just all about backing in the nuclear and fossil fuel industries for however much time they can buy, even if modern nuclear is, is safer than it used to be, and it probably is, the, the costs are nowhere near to being efficient enough for that to be a, a realistic option in mm. Australia. I just wish that they would just step back <laughs> from the desire to just believe every single thing that's put in front of them and just on a piece of paper write the names of some people that seem to be regular faces in this space and then just do what I did. There's a website. You can go in and you can find out what shares they own. You can find out how they've voted in the past. You know, and, and sometimes you'll you'll hear a politician talk about uh easy one, cash. We should always pay cash, yeah? And cash is king. But then you go and look at their past voting history and they voted against the scrapping of Indu cards, which is like, but that makes no sense. You just said that cash was based, but now you're saying people who are on welfare shouldn't get cash. They should only give or get this credit card. And that now they no have Freemason. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, <laughs> I just wish that the people at the top of this little pyramid of the freedom movement, the people who I do think... At times, not all of them, so don't put me against the wall and beat me. But some of the people in this movement genuinely believe that they are doing the right thing. Whether we agree with what they think or not, they agree with what they think. And they think that what they think is right. Yeah. And I just wish sometimes they would take an extra hour to just write down some stuff and realize that the vast majority of the things that you are being pushed are being pushed on you by people who are richer than you, by people who have better jobs than you, by people who earn an income from the very thing they're telling you to go and protest about. That's just what I wish for them, to just open their eyes a tiny bit and realize that you are being played globally by people who have shit tons of money who want you to keep struggling because they make most money while you struggle.
but let's finish <laughs> on a guess size of the crowd so i've heard there's like 30 people heading up from melbourne maybe there'll be more i don't know i think a fair few will come from new south wales some party faithful will show up to support teeny tiny and co so i'm going to say 2000 people that's going to be my guess what's your guess dave well so far i've got five buses in total um coming from port stevens wollongong central coast and tamworth could be half empty for all we know um there was a bit of desperate conversation around getting people to book tickets so we can actually book a bus so yep um then then i've seen a an apparent convoy of written up unregistered sovereign vehicles from the gold coast that'll be exciting Mm. um i think stopping in singleton for australia day at the cali (laughs) oh of course yeah (laughs) um and if if this is being discussed amongst any serious farming groups i haven't seen it Uh, could be wrong um but yeah maybe one to two k um i mean who in this group of people has declared that they'll be the ones prepared to live adjacent to a nuclear power or open cut coal mine um and dutton's decided to find next year's election in the outer suburbs hasn't he absolutely absolutely yep yep this same again all of this stuff you're being played you're being played by the very politicians that you say that you hate the ones from the top end of town but anyway a very big thank you dave for popping in for a chat and we are going to do a lot more of these chats in this year i think there's a few moments in this year that are going to warrant talking about we've got council elections looming so i'm sure that we will do something on that thank you everyone for listening sandy will be back for the next episode which will be a little bit of a deep dive and in the meantime you can find us at our socials sauce149 and sunny sandy l with two e's you can also find dave on twitter so go and give him a follow at david bu 67709018 take care everyone and we'll see you next time